So I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to read one paragraph together as really the the source of where we're going to be heading over the course of the next three weeks. And those of you in the modern service, it is so good to see you through the lens of the camera right there, not in person. If you're one of our guests here, we have two services uh, in worshiping together, one here and one in the room, which is just around the corner here. So modern worship service, I look forward to being with you in person soon. Thank you for joining us this morning. I pray your worship time is going incredibly well there. Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to be. And as you're finding your place, let me tell you where we've gone and where we're going here for just a little bit since... I le- uh, left in, uh, in, my re- in my place, we had some wonderful preachers and teachers, our ministers here, David Klein, our executive pastor, and Dustin Dozier, our minister of students, and John Alexander, our, our, our minister to children, as they finished up the book of James. And James is a book that we started back in January, if you can believe it, 18 weeks, going through each chapter, each section, walking through that letter together and so thank you men if you're here or in the other room thank you for serving the body so well but in between as we went through that book in between we took April and May to preach a sermon series called vision and values in which we uncovered our new mission statement and new values values that we presented to you values that our ministerial team have been working on for months and months and months and so We came together over the course of eight weeks and we presented to you our vision and our values and what's going to happen this fall is over the course of the next three Sundays, we're going to hit that vision just one more time and we're going to come back to it so we're clear on it and over the course of Sundays and on into Wednesdays as well, our team did a great job providing for you on the back of the, our, our bulletin the information of where we're headed on Wednesday nights. And as we work out the practicalities of what making disciples looks like in the fall of 2016 here at Taylor's, what it looks like for you, starting August 21, we're going to begin another sermon series on the book of Joshua. As we step into a new season of ministry and into a new season of of God leading us into a new place, we're going to walk with this general, with Joshua, as he steps in and leads the people of God. And we're going to talk about what it means to have fear when you're afraid in transition and in change. What it means to trust and walk by God's methods, not our own methods, what it means for us and for our families when we conceal our sin and the impact of that. What does it mean for the followers of Jesus and for the family of faith? What does it mean for them to to go through conflict with one? All these things are in Joshua. That great passage at the end of the book, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What does it mean for your family? This is a great, great book and a great time to be walking through that. So as we walk through the practicalities of making disciples, we're going to be walking through this book as well. In the meantime, for the next three weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to renew the vision. We're going to renew the vision. You know, you students, you're going back to school in a couple of weeks. Did you know that? You realize that? And perhaps there's no more feared words from a teacher than this. Put your books away, put everything underneath your desk, and take out a blank half sheet of paper. You ever hear those words? 
It meant accountability time, right? It meant now I'm going to be pressed a little bit here. And so here is what I'm convinced about our vision and about our mission statement that we've given to you. It's not that our mission statement and our vision is difficult to understand. It's just easy to forget. For instance, if I were to say to you, put away your bulletin and take out a half sheet of paper, could you write our mission statement down? Could you do it? I don't know if there's a whole lot that could do it. And here's my point. Repetition brings clarity. Clarity brings action. And this is what we want to do over the course of the next three weeks is to hit this vision one more time, to repeat the vision and the mission statement, to understand it more fully, but yet have clarity so that the culture of tailors can begin to take root and that we can begin to make disciples in a new and fresh way. So that's why we come to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 this morning. If you have your place, I want you to turn there. And here's where we want to see the very first part of our mission statement. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. I'm going to help you. A teacher's going to give you great grace today, all right? It's on the screen. Here's our mission statement. Tailors exist to make disciples as we, number one, encounter God. Number two, as we equip believers, and number three, as we engage the world. Tailors exist to, first of all, um, to make disciples, first of all, as we encounter God. That involves our worship and our gathering and our times with the Lord. We want to equip believers. We want to help you serve and we want to help you grow as we engage the world, as we reach lost people. And this is our mission statement. This is what... This is what's going to drive us. This is what's going to focus our attention when it's so easily in a church to get distracted by so many things. And we want this to drive us. So this morning as we come to Matthew 28, which really serves as the vision that Jesus has given every follower in every church, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, here's what we want to tackle this morning, what it means to encounter God. And I want to give you a statement before we get to the text this morning, which I hope you'll remember and which I think will drive not only the text, but I think will drive our time together. And hopefully as you leave here, this will resonate in your mind and in your heart. And as you come to church on Sunday mornings, this little phrase might stick and might, have, might gain traction so that your worship time as we encounter God together has greater impact. And here's the simple statement this morning. Worship fuels mission. Worship fuels mission. Let's first of all see it in the text. And here's what Jesus tells us this morning about his vision. Do you realize this? These are the words of Jesus that he gives us. And it summarizes what he wants his followers and what he wants his church to do. He gave this to them as, church, this is your job from the time that Jesus' feet left the Mount of Olives there outside Jerusalem to the time that his feet will come and return and hit the Mount of Olives again. This is it, this paragraph. If we had to summarize it, this would be it. So this is an important piece about the vision of Jesus, but the vision and mission of Taylor's First Baptist Church. So read it with me. Matthew 28, verse 16. Here's what it says. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. 
And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, for those of you who perhaps are are not familiar with this passage, you're familiar with, with what is happening here. Jesus is about to leave, and he directs his disciples to go away from Jerusalem where all the events of the past few days had happened. Jesus' death and his resurrection, and he appears to them in an upper room, but he directs them to go up to Galilee, to, go, uh, to, to move out where their headquarters was, and, and, and to meet there at a place maybe they had gathered there before. Maybe this is where their worship time was before. Maybe this is where they were instructed before. I don't know, but Jesus said, that's the place I want you to meet me there. So the 11 go, and some people think that there are more than 11. The other followers begin to gather up in Galilee, and here comes Jesus walking, and when the disciples see the revelation of the glory of God and the grace of God in this person, what do they do? What does it say in the text? And they worshiped him. Now, I want you to understand this, all right? When Jesus went to the cross, and when he suffered, and when he was hanging there in all of his shame, those 11, when they saw him like that, what did they do? They ran. They ran away from him. When they saw him in his, in his supposed weakness, instead of being the Messiah, instead of being the, the king that would overthrow Rome and take control of the Jewish authorities, when they saw that supposed weakness and that suffering, they ran. But here's the pattern in all of Scripture. We see this over and over again, that suffering and weakness precede the power and the glory of God. And when the disciples saw that all that they had heard Jesus teach and all that they had read from the Old Testament and that they had read from the prophet Isaiah that there was someone who was coming, God himself who would come and rule and reign. And when they saw him suffer and willingly die for them, but resurrected in great power and resurrected in great glory, and he's alive just like he said he was, when they saw the revelation of Almighty God there in the person of Jesus, they could not help but fall on their faces before him and worship him. It's amazing. Because they had seen God's glory, and they had seen his grace, and they'd been transformed by this. These men who ran would now be killed for their faith. They would now worship him and lead others to worship him and would rally around the words that we just read. They would give their lives to this mission and to this person and to his cause. We will give our lives to you, Jesus. We worship you, and that worship 
fueled the mission. If they didn't see him, if they didn't see his glory and grace uncovered to them, if they didn't fully understand what Jesus had done for them, what we've been singing about all morning about the cross and the power of Christ to save us sinners, if they didn't realize that, then the mission's going to fall apart. Then there's no way they're going to give their lives and to give everything they have for this person and for this mission. Worship fueled their mission. And worship fuels our mission as well. This is why it's in our mission statement. That in order for us to make disciples, in order for, for us as a church to equip you, I'm looking at your faces, every single member of this body, of this family of faith, those of you who are against, every single one of you, my heart is that you know Christ and love Christ. But in order for us to do that, and to send you out so more and more people outside these walls, the people that you work with that don't know Jesus, your neighbors that don't know Jesus, your workplace and your community in this world that does not know Jesus, there is no way on earth that we can accomplish it without coming to an understanding that in order for us to fulfill the mission, we must regularly encounter the living presence of Almighty God. The mission is fueled by worshiping Jesus. So they hit their faces. Now the interesting part is some doubt it. How can you doubt? We, we kind of sit here and wonder, how could you doubt seeing Jesus like that? But some did. And some of you this morning, here's the reality, will come to the Lord's table, and I'll do it now for both, for both rooms. I'll ask you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, not to participate simply because this is reserved. The scriptures want us to be people of integrity. This is reserved for those that know him. And you might be doubting him this morning. You might, know, you might not know him personally. You, you might be a, a church person or maybe even a non-church person. I don't know why you're here, but there are people here that don't know Christ personally and this incredible love that he has for you. And so here's what I want to share with you this morning. Is that as the bread and the juice go by in just a few moments, that you, you, you understand and know the love of Jesus for your soul. And you will spend eternity apart from him in a place called hell if you do not respond to him with your life and with your sin. Some doubted, but all of them worshiped, most of them worshiped, and it fueled the mission. It's what allowed them to go out and baptize and allowed them to go out and teach, allowed them to go out and plant churches and send missionaries to the ends of the earth because they worshiped. Worship is the fuel of missions, we see it in the text. Worship is the fuel of missions, and I want you to see it in a story of what happened to me when I was away, the first week of June, on into July, I went with Jeremy Thompson, our minister of missions, to a little nation called Slovenia. You know where Slovenia is? If you do, that's good, because I didn't when I was going there. Slovenia is this little country, uh, tucked away, it's beautiful, tucked away uh, right next to Italy on the Adriatic Sea. So we flew to Munich and then to Venice and took a two-hour bus ride to to uh, Slovenia, where we met with hundreds upon hundreds of international mission board. If you're not familiar with our church, we're a Southern Baptist church, and our, our mission force is called the International Mission Board, and we met with hundreds and hundreds of our personnel, 
all the personnel that are gathered uh, in the North Africa Middle East region, which are some of the hardest places in the world to reach. So you have people in the Arabian Peninsula, you have people in Egypt, you have people in Morocco, you have people in Libya, you have people in Jordan, and, and all these places. And so some of these folks, as we, got to get, as we got to know them a little bit, some of these people have been kicked out of the countries in which they're serving. I remember one lady, I was sitting uh, at lunch and I didn't have a spot to sit and I just found a seat and I said, all right, um, let's get to know some of these folks. And she was serving in northern Iraq. She was a school teacher from New York City. Her kids are growing up. Her kids are in college now. She felt the call to go to missions and she is now in northern Iraq. And here's what she said. When we left, they told us that we might not be able to get back into our homes we don't even know if we'll get back into the city. So here I am having lunch knowing that I'm going to fly home and, and I'm going to enjoy a vacation with my wife and with my children, with my great house here in Greenville, and she is going to go back and not know if she's going to be greeted at the airport with, you are no longer welcome here. We don't know. These are the types of conversations I'm having all week. Met with Haley Dean, who is... Uh, a gal from here and her, her three partners. There's, uh, there's two, uh, a couple and then two girls. There's a man and three girls who are serving in the Arabian Peninsula. And we adopted an unreached people group. And here's, here's what was so exciting about seeing Haley. It's great to always see her and our partners that we've been working with for a couple of years. But uh, we have adopted this people group. And we don't know if there are any known believers there at all. So when we gathered with Haley and her team, and we celebrated over pizza on Friday night before, or on Saturday night before we left on Sunday. We celebrated with them because over a short stint, over a short stretch, they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with over 400 people in our people group. Can you believe that? We don't know if there are any known believers, but 400 of them have heard the gospel. We're just celebrating that. It's unbelievable. It's like that. All week, praying, Lord, where would you lead us? What is next? What would you have us do? It was like that. But here's the thing. We get to the end of the week. And uh, I, I asked Haley, I said, Haley, what has been the highlight of the week? And certainly you could just tell with the personnel who are there, up to you know, hundreds, if not up to a thousand people with their children and with the, the students and the children had their own special time. Students had their own special time and I said, Haley, what, what has been the most special thing? And here's what she said. She said, our worship time. When we gather together. And, and you know, I thought she would say, meeting with those who um, I've been training with. I thought she might say, the instruction we've received as we head out, there's changes at the IMB. And so as David Platt came and as he preached and as he gave them direction, I thought, hey, we're ready to go. I thought it might be, you know, we're so excited about the work that's over there. But here's the thing that she was most encouraged and inspired by. And that is, as those hundreds of people gathered together, and these are people who are from all walks of life. They're single, they're families, they're empty nesters. They've just been called to follow Jesus and they gathered together and they saw one another and they loved one another and they were around the word of God together and they sang songs together. And Haley said, the first time I walked in and I worshiped, she said, I just wept because we encountered Jesus together. I said, what do you do at home? What, help me, what is happening in the mornings as you gather together? She said, well, someone has a guitar. There are four of us. Someone has a guitar. 
We have the word. We have one another. And we worship. I said, wow. What an amazing week it's been for you. And here's the thing. It, It hit me like a thunderbolt. As I sat there and I turned around and I looked at these hundreds of people who are carrying out the mission and they're, they're weeping and they're raising their hands and they're singing like they've never sung before. And here's what I realized. Worship fuels the mission. Encountering Jesus, knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, exalting Jesus is the only means by which the mission can be fulfilled. And, and here's what I want you to know. Listen, listen. They're not, they're not so super spiritual that here's the elite over here and here's us back in America. That's not the case because they're husbands and they're wives and they have children and they have problems and they have issues and they have stress and they have sickness and they have aging parents and they have discouragement and they lose mentors and team members. They gain mentors and new team members and their lives are just like yours and mine. But here is what they've committed to do, that there's a mission and we gather together to worship Jesus and that worship must fuel our mission. And this is what I want you and I to realize that our worship gathering time on Sunday mornings is what fuels us equipping one another and engaging the world. And if we do not worship together, then the mission ultimately is going to be distracted or it's going to crumble or it's, it's just going to fall apart. And I, and I hope that's not what, I hope that's not what is happening in churches all across the country is that the mission is being disregarded, not because of want to, but because of a lack of worship. Here's my confession. So when I landed in Slovenia, I was ready. (laughs) I I, I was ready to to be away. I, I was ready because it had been, a, it'd been an, an amazing spring preaching through James, amazing spring grinding out our vision and our values, teaching and preaching every single week. It had been an amazing time in walking with you through the highs, but it's been a tough, tough time walking through the lows. It's been a discouraging time for, for, for me as your pastor at times to walk through those difficult waters of change and, and of conflict and of complaining and, and arguing. It's been great joy to see people step up and for people to say we're committed to the mission, we're committed to the vision, we're committed, pastor, to Jesus, to following, to following what Jesus wants us to do. But I will say this, June 26th was circled on my calendar and it was getting on a plane and going. <laughs> You remember that, remember that commercial about someone's in a bubble bath a long time ago? And the commercial said, and, and, and they just cry out, Calgon, take me away. Do you remember that? It's like, Jesus, take me away just for a little bit. I'm just sharing my heart with you. But here's the reality. Jesus wanted me to be fueled in worship in order to rekindle my passion the mission. He plopped me there in a seat where the word of God would wash over me. I would sing. I'd be challenged. And I would have in my heart to submit to the authority and the leadership of the Holy Spirit again. To confess my sin 
to respond to Jesus in a way that I haven't in a long, long time. I needed to go to Slovenia to worship because worship fuels the mission and you need it too. You see, whatever you're going through in your heart and in your life, I, I want you to come on Sunday mornings expecting to worship. Because as worship fuels mission, here's the first thing it does for us as we encounter the living Christ, it transforms us because it takes the focus off of ourselves and onto the glory and to the gospel of God. We come in and we're distracted by so many things. We come in with our preferences. We come in with our, with our priorities of what we want to see in church or how we want church to run or how we want church to go or how we want this, that, and the other. We all come in with it. Let's be honest. We all come in with our preferences. We all come in with certain patterns, how we worship, how often we worship. What it, we all have preferences and patterns. And I'm just warning you here, all right? As your pastor, I'm just warning you. If we take our eyes off of Jesus and his glory and his gospel and his people and his mission, what will happen is our heart will be steered away and distracted by our preferences and our patterns. And we will, we will channel out this little lane of what we prefer. We'll channel out this little lane of, of, what, of our patterns and we won't be open to the authority and to the leadership. How would you like the disciples if when Jesus comes to them, they say, Jesus, this is wonderful. You've been raised from the dead. You have power over all things. You're sovereign and you're complete. But we prefer that you would have done it a different way. We preferred the throw out, the money changers, whips, kicking stuff down, power. Jesus, we prefer that king. And Isaiah talked about that king. Jesus, we prefer that. But when they saw him, they worshiped him. And they said, yes, we submit, Jesus, to your authority. What if they would have said, Jesus, the pattern of the Old Testament is this? Here's the pattern of the Old Testament, Jesus, hundreds and hundreds of years. Jesus, are, are you going to tell me that you're going to buck Moses and you're going to buck the prophets? And, and look at all these leaders. They crucified you, Jesus. We're glad you came out of that okay, but the pattern is different. What, what if their preferences and their pattern overruled their worship? Here is what I want you as a church, here's my heart for you. Every single week that you come in is that you come in excited and expectant to worship the living Jesus. That you come, and as we will today, we see his gospel, we see his body, and we see his blood, that it transforms you. This morning as you come in, and you might be hurting. This morning you come in, you might be discouraged. This morning, all of us come into these doors with sin. That this morning, as we see Christ, that we are transformed. And every week that we come, that there is an expectation and an anticipation that Jesus is Lord, that his gospel is for me, and his gospel is for me so that it can get to other people. This is what our weekly gatherings are about. And I want you to commit to Sunday morning. I, I'm expecting, if, if you're signing up for this mission, you're signing up for this vision, I expect, I long for you to come with an anticipation that Jesus and the Holy Spirit can transform me through his word, through our singing, through the Lord's Supper, through the baptisms, through the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. I long for that. 
Here's the second thing about worship fueling our mission. It is this, that it unites us around the mission. It unites the people of God for the mission of God. Worship transforms us individually, but worship unites us around the mission. There's one Jesus. There's one Holy Spirit when Jesus leaves. There's one church. There's one gospel. There's one mission. And these men give their lives after seeing Jesus and worshiping him. They give their lives to this. They unite around this mission together. And this is what happens when we worship him. This is the culture we want to elevate here at Taylor's is that we see Christ and his gospel and there's confession and there's submission and there's response to Jesus and that we're transformed and united around this mission. It is the gospel that can do this. I'm all in. I'm all in on the gospel. It's the only thing that can unite, the only thing that can empower us. Let me show you how this works with one more story from Slovenia. And then we'll go to the Lord's Supper. At the end of our time, we took the Lord's Supper. And there were probably eight, eight or so pastors somewhere in there who were asked from local churches in the States to come and to stand at the front and to hold the bread and to hold the juice. And so the, the missionaries would come down and they would take a piece of the bread and, and then they would dip it in the juice and and they would eat that, and this was our time of being unified around the mission and around the table. And so I, I di didn't know really hardly any of the individuals who were there. I might have known a few, but um, there was hardly anyone there that I knew intimately. But here's the thing. Jesus united my heart the hearts of those ministers with their heart for the mission in a powerful way. And we didn't have time to, I didn't have time to speak to every single one and to pull them close and to look into their eyes and to look into their heart. But if I could, this is what I would have said. I don't know where you're going or I don't know the fear that awaits you as you return. I don't know the stress and the strain in your marriage. I don't know what is happening in your life beyond where you serve. I don't know what's happening with your parents. I don't know if your team's falling apart. But I do know this. Jesus has given his body and his blood for you. And this gospel will sustain you. And this gospel can transform you. And this gospel can change your mind and your perspective and your heart. And this gospel can give you the fuel that you need to carry out the mission. And as I flew home, over the last few weeks, knowing this was going to be the Lord's Supper, I thought, why is that any different for you? I know some of you intimately. I don't know some of you that well at all. But it's the same gospel, and it's the same heart. And this morning as you come to the table, if I could, I'd pull you close 
And I'd look into your eyes and I would say, I don't know what hurt you're going through. I don't know what sin that you're dealing with. I don't know what family strain and struggle is weighing you down. I don't know what you've done in the past that might hinder your reputation for the future. I don't know what's holding you back, Dad, from leading your home. I don't know what's holding you back from committing to Christ and to his body in a fresh way. I don't know what's holding some of you back from giving everything you have to Jesus. I don't know what is holding some of you back from stopping and playing church. I don't know, but I know this. My Jesus loves you, and in his body and in his blood, there is great mercy, and there is great grace, and there is great forgiveness, and there is great power, and there is great strength, and there is great hope, and our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness and if we don't worship him if you don't come to grips with the power and mercy and grace of almighty God the mission in your life the mission of your home the mission of your marriage the mission in the workplace the mission to the world the mission that Jesus has carved out for you will not take place unless you worship him I give Jesus to you. And at the beginning of a new season, your pastor commits to this Jesus and to this gospel in a fresh way. I'm all in. And I want you to be all in so that you don't get distracted. You don't, you don't get waylaid. We don't sit around the table as a ministerial team and go, where's so-and-so? That we don't hear about another casualty spiritually. I present to you the gospel of Jesus Christ and I exalt him because worship fuels the mission of our hearts and of our church. Will you pray with me right now? Father, as we come to, your, to the table that Jesus commanded us to come to, Lord, I, I give my life to you and this church. It is yours, and it is worship of you and your son that will bring about whatever it is that you want to see. And so... Father, as we build a culture of worship here, may every week we come expecting. May every week there not be a fear to come to church or a laziness, but a passion. This is, this is the time we gather together as a body and we love one another and we hold hands and we see our hearts healed and we see our sin forgiven. And it fuels the mission. Oh, Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love.
May we never take it for granted. May this time as we come together, this time of reflection in both rooms, Father, may it be a time where there is confession, there is submission, there is a gentle response to Jesus, to his authority. May there be renewed joy. May there be healing. May there be reconciliation. Oh, Father, you know my my prayer. Have your way with Taylor's First Baptist. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.